Today's program is brought to you by Whole Foods Market, a dynamic leader in the quality food business, a mission-driven company that aims to set the standards of excellence for food retailers. For more information, visit WholeFoodsMarket.com. I'm Linda Palaccio, host of A Taste of the Past. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit HeritageRadioNetwork.org for thousands more. Hey, and welcome to After the Jump. I'm your host, Grace Bonney, and today we're coming to you live from Roberta's in Bushwick, Brooklyn. You can listen to After the Jump every Wednesday at 1 p.m. on heritageradionetwork.org or download the podcast on iTunes anytime. This year's radio season is just about over, so for our 99th show, I wanted to address a complicated, controversial, but still crucial topic affecting our community, the changing pay rates for creative talent in the internet and Pinterest era. This topic is one I've wanted to discuss and have struggled with myself over the years. While I think that most people would agree that anyone doing work should be compensated for their time and skills, these days, the amount and the method of compensation seems to be changing rapidly in an era when instant accessibility and quick design, the idea of paying for what people seem to now perceive as free, seems less popular than ever. Joining me today to discuss the issue in the studio are stylist and art director Susan Brinson, her husband, photographer William Brinson, and floral designer Sarah Brisk-Cohen of Blossom and & Branch. And on the phone all the way from Los Angeles is interior designer Emily Henderson. Thanks for being here, you guys. Thank you. Pleasure. Thanks very much for having us. So I want to start um, by thanking everybody for being here. It's, you guys are my final guests of the, the whole year, so it's very exciting, and especially to talk about something that is so difficult and personal and a bit touchy so we're all we're all open-minded today to everything everyone has to say um the reason i've basically gathered all of you is they want to talk about the way that creative talent is both perceived and compensated in today's market so to start let's get to know each of you a little bit better better and i want to hear how each of you thinks the market has changed and we'll talk about why next but now i just want to hear what each of you think has changed um let's start with emily since we've got you on the phone emily how do you think that the market has changed for sort of create like compensating and perceiving the creative talent well it's tricky for me because i'm trying to make a living as a designer and i have this blog that hires Created for you know making original content, so I'm getting it from both sides, which makes me really sensitive to it. Because as, as clients of mine, they don't well clients they end up not taking. They don't understand why design is so expensive, you know. And I try and, and explain that it's you know it's a there's just it's a it's a huge process and it's like a lot of moving parts and there's a lot of talent blah blah blah. But it looks really fun to them, you know, and it looks like we just have the most fun job in the world because all we do is chop and pin and and that kind of stuff. So it's really hard to to convince them why it is it it is a certain hourly rate, you know, and why it does it is expensive. But at the same time, I I I am hiring photographers, stylists, and that kind of stuff that those kind of people for the blog. And so then I also need to pay what I'm expecting, you know. And it's just very tricky. So I would say the market changed because we're like as a blogger, we're being we're being asked to create content for companies instead of them creating their own content. So they're getting they're getting art direction, photography, styling, and social media all from the same person and kind of cutting out a lot of advertising agencies, which means there there's there's somebody that's not making money that used to, you know? 
Mm-hmm. That's a good point. I, that point about something being fun and that being perceived as something that shouldn't have a high price tag. Sarah, let's go to you next, because that's that something you run into as a floral designer. Absolutely. I think people have the sense that I'm surrounded by these beautiful things all day and that there's nothing to it. And flowers themselves are so pretty. And so, you know, wh- what could be so complicated or what could be so... Um, you know, specific that I'm doing to make it all happen. And there's so much more while flowers are beautiful. And while, you know, designing flowers is a true pleasure. 99% of what I do is not sitting around being, you know, surrounded by pretty flowers. It's the concepting, it's the design, it's the um, execution of events, it's installing things, it's uh, creating agendas, it's hiring and managing people. I mean, there's so much to it, and it's it's a business like any other. And so um, just because it's pleasurable for me in moments and just because it's a creative passion of mine doesn't mean that I don't need to make money to do it and that it's not some kind of higher order level of skill or talent that re- that's required to make it all happen. Will and Susan, how have you seen the market change? I've seen the market change in a really positive way that it's also open doors for a lot of issues to crop up. You know, 10 years ago, if you came to New York and you wanted to get in the photography industry, you generally went to art college, you came to New York, you assisted, and you re- you worked your way up the ladder that way. You were exposed to the industry. And now, you know, with social media and blogging, anyone can do it. Anyone can pick up a camera and is a photographer. Um, anyone can call themselves a stylist. And while I think that it's created a lot of opportunity, which we've definitely benefited from, it's also created um, a lot of issues with pricing and really defining the value because it's not in this tightly woven community anymore. It's a much broader uh, standpoint as far as you know, more people being involved. Yeah, I think as photographers, it's just become an oversaturated market. Everyone has a camera. If you have a phone, you have a camera. And while that's good, you know, and a lot of creative things come out of that. It, it just makes the prices go down. If you have a lot of commodity of some things, then the price goes down. And so you have to rise above and show your talent and show that you can consistently produce something over and over again. And that's how you separate yourself from the pack, but it's definitely gotten much harder. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about the realities of these changes and what it means for your daily businesses and income. How have you guys all seen both of these change, both maybe the requests you're getting from clients and also just the actual numbers? How are these changing on a day-to-day level? Um, Emily, let's start with you again. Uh, it's a little tricky. I feel like I've moved away from working with residential clients and I'm working mostly with businesses because businesses and companies understand understand what things cost more than, um, you know, somebody that just wants their house decorated. And that's kind of a bummer, obviously, because I love working with residential clients. So, and actually in January, I'm launching new services to hopefully get back into it. But I would say it just, it got so big that I kind of needed to take a break from it. And I'm working more with a company to know what things cost. Yeah, I think the idea of working with a large company or any company, frankly, versus working with individuals is something that I think a lot of people are running into because I think it's that individual that's so saturated with this internet world of everything is accessible. All this great design, all this inspiration should theoretically just be available. And they're so used to it being free that now the idea of attaching a price tag seems difficult to swallow. Um, Sarah, how has that affected your sort of day-to-day and your bottom line? Well, I mean, I would echo a lot of the things that have been said today. I mean, I think working 
sort of moving more from individual clients and, and event work to more corporate work has been something that's been a reality for me. Um, I think I do a lot of educating um, with my clients, which is a little bit frustrating and it feels like I'm sort of trying to assert something, but really explaining to people when they come to me and they have a wedding or an event or a more personal um, occasion like that, that look, yes, you can go and find any very recent intern who decides to hang out a shingle and, and open up a, a flower business and they can take pretty flowers and make them beautiful for your event. Um, but what you're paying for when you hire me is my expertise is, um, you know, my ability to think on my feet, how professional I'm going to be with all of the vendors. I mean, there are all of these reasons why um, my concept, my design is going to be elevated and more sophisticated and more reliable. And, you know, so my team of people who are going to um, execute on your event are all professionals and all have the same design skill that I do. So it's, um, it's a lot of educating people. You get what you pay for. I, I use that phrase all the time. You get what you pay for and, um, and you can roll the dice and get it for, for cheap, but, um, you, there are risks associated with that. So I, I do a lot of, a lot more explaining and a lot more just Me sort too. of, yeah, you know, believing, um, and acting as if, and being, being worth it. Um, I, I say no a lot more than I used to, and I just have to believe that um, people are going to pay for my services because they're of quality, and I'm going to be able to get by and survive on um, fewer, higher quality events than just saying yes to everything. I think that what you guys, both of you just touched on is the idea of professionalism and experience versus something that comes maybe straight off of a blog or straight off of Pinterest or social media, because there are truly beautiful things that exist on every website and Pinterest page and Instagram feed that are not created by people who have experience yet. That does not mean they don't have talent or skills, but there is a difference when a professional job or an event like a wedding is hinging on someone who's never done that before, who hasn't experienced what it's like to have a vendor fall through and have to save that at the last minute and the same thing and I hear this in photography a lot is so much of the Instagram generation is so used to just shooting with natural light that when they have to be hired to shoot something and uh -huh. style and set up a light kit they don't know how to use those yet and that's not saying everyone has that problem but there are some issues that come up when you're dealing with experience. Um, Susan and Will how has that affected you guys? Um, I want to move into the next question so I'm going to start with you two. How has, have you seen client requests changed in this sort of new environment? Are people requesting things they see online or are they asking more but for less absolutely I think it's more but for less or more for, or more but for the same um, for instance you know photography pricing is based on um, I'll see if I can say this this correctly it's your expenses plus the usage right and usage like if it's for a really large magazine or and publication fee. and fee yeah so like if it's for a really large uh, magazine then they might have more generous budgets. If it's for a smaller publication, they might have a tighter budget, um, but give you more leeway and creativity. And generally, the contracts were for a certain amount of months. And then the, and then the images went back into the court of the photographer, and the photographer could resell those uh, as stock. And it was great, because then you have this job that you did, um, you know, maybe for like a little bit of a lesser price, and then you could still get some money out of those images in the future. But now... You know, the, uh, the images are put out on the internet and they're put on Pinterest. And I can tell you that no one's going in and looking at the contracts and taking them down after six months. So now we're mm -hmm. asked to give more, but for the same price or less. And also, you know, whenever the requests come in, you know, um, 
we're we're asked what our social media stats are. How many Instagram followers do we have? How many Twitter followers do we have? How active are we on those social networks? You know, do we understand what Pinterest is? How to create a great image for Pinterest? So, I think that the diversification, you know, that we're asked to really understand versus the team that's making the request understand is much more of a larger ask than it had been, say, 10 years ago. Yeah, and even job titles, you know, we're, we're not just photographers anymore. Susan and I kind of flipped a coin and decided to become a team and work behind the camera, and, and we hire stylists, and, you know, we work with art directors from the magazines. But a lot of the magazines are, you know, not necessarily doing well, not all of them, but so there's this unsaid rule that if there's not an art director, guess who's it? If there's not budget for a stylist, guess who's it? You know, and, and that kind of thing, it's... It's, it's fun in one aspect because we have more control, but it's a lot more to put on our shoulders and it just it wanes on you after a while. What about you, Sarah? Um, you know, I, again, I, I am experiencing a lot of the same things. I think that clients, particularly in the, in the age of Pinterest and um, even, you know, even things like Google or just sort of the Internet, the blogs, it gives people so much more access to information. It used to be that... Um, a designer was the expert and now everybody's an expert everyone has exposure to you know everything from like HGTV all of the specialized kind of design cable channels all of it every everything is sort of inundating the client who comes to me and they come to me and they have their own images picked out a lot of the time a client comes to me with a complete inspiration board already um, formed and they just sort of hand it to you and say execute this make this happen and and sometimes that's helpful and it and it creates a common language for us and it's easier for me to sort of deliver what they want but they don't know how much it costs um, often the images are coming to me from the you know the upper echelons they're coming to me from Martha Stewart or some of the the very sort of um, fanciest nicest uh, design sources that that there are with budgets that are unlimited and then the client says to me and I'd like this and here's my budget so to have to tr- sort of translate that or explain to them that um, you know it's not going to look like that because you don't have the money for that um, or this is a fantasy you know this this uh, the other piece of it is that there are so many inspiration shoots on blogs and everywhere else now and there are there are people I know who are bloggers who refuse to even post those anymore because it's it's just created this huge problem for people who are designers out there having to execute on things (laughs) because you have this inspiration shoot where I can tell you I know what they spent to make that happen and you don't have anywhere near that money and when you present that idea to people that like you can have this for your wedding or your event um, nobody can afford what's what's on the internet so um, that's a real problem to to sort of like have this huge come down and and I'm the voice of reason when the client comes and then you never want to be in that position of having to sort of disappoint people like well sorry you don't have the money for that Mm -hmm. you think you hit the nail on the head there with and this is something that I think um, me and my community of bloggers are responsible for and we've stopped running inspiration shoots as well for not just that reason but also because so few people want to be 100% honest about what they spent on something for a myriad of reasons Um, the primary being most people don't want to present bloggers as having enough money to put those shoots together because it makes us seem like we're like living the high life which most of us are not but 
um, those shoots do cost a lot of money. And a lot of times they're done for, as favors and done for free. And then people don't have prices associated with them. So they're just not getting an accurate picture of how much it costs to do something like that. Emily, is that, I'm imagining that's hitting you big time as someone who's expected oh, to pull together a program. Yeah, program. I mean, I'm like creating my own problem. I'm like my own <laughs> monster because I do all these budget makeovers and it's like a lot of vintage, it's a lot of flea markets, resources that I know and, you know, they might not cost very much money and I can, I mean, they, they end up, of course, costing a decent amount of money, but like I can find stuff for cheap because I know the market. So then I, you know, I put it on the blog and then clients, like I'll try and get new clients and they want that. They're like, yeah, but you only, you found that for $40, but why can't I? And and I'm like, I know you're not wrong, like, but I, my time is worth something, you know? So I feel like I've, I really helped create this problem, but at the same time, like, that's, I want to do budget makeovers on the blog. I don't want to do, like, high-end luxury makeovers, you know? So, I mean, it does let me work with, you know, like, larger companies that want that look, too, but it is, like, Target, but it is kind of tricky because I don't really know how to tell clients that just because I can do this quick, you know, weekend makeover on the blog doesn't mean that I can recreate it over and over for that same amount of money. And also, you, I have to get paid for my time, you Absolutely. know? So it's been, um, I don't think I'm helping the situation at this point. <laughs> I know what you mean. Um, you have to take a very quick break, and then I want to get back to how you guys handle these requests and how do you learn to say no. Uh, so we'll be right back. Today's program has been brought to you by Whole Foods Market. Are you a locavore? Our Northeast Regional Forager for Whole Foods Market sure is. She spends her time traveling around the New York City metro area sourcing the best new or interesting artisanal and handcrafted local products for our purchasing teams at the local store level. Part of our commitment to our local suppliers includes assisting them with the process of getting their products sold at our stores. Whether it's suggesting packaging designs, pricing, or distribution methods, she's helping some of the area's best new products reach savvy shoppers at Whole Foods Market stores. Today, New York. Tomorrow, the world. For more information, visit WholeFoodsMarket.com. Hey, welcome back to After the Jump. I'm your host, Grace Bonney, and today I'm talking with Susan and Will Brinson, Sarah Briss-Cohen, and Emily Henderson about the changing pay rates for creative talent in the internet era. Before the break, we were talking about how things have changed and possibly why they have and how these requests from clients are changing as well. And I want to hear from all of you how you're handling these requests that are perhaps either under the budget you need or are over-demanding. Um, are you guys standing up for yourselves? Like, are you making these principled stances or are you just kind of rolling with the punches? I want to hear how each of you are, are rolling with this. Let's start with you, Sarah. Um, I think that is over the pat. It, my business has been um, running for about five years. And so I'd say in the last year or so, I really made a personal and professional commitment to my business to start really asking what I'm worth. And, and I know what, what, uh, I've seen a lot of what's what's coming up behind me and um, a lot of people who are just kind of, as I said, like hanging shingles and um, after just a few months of experience and just sort of knowing that um, I, I help 
I help all of us when I charge the appropriate amount for my services. And again, it's not just for um, the materials themselves. It's for my professional expertise and my experience. So um, I have in the last, I would say, solidly year started pricing more appropriately and asking for what I'm worth and saying no a lot more. And it's very anxiety provoking as a small business owner. I mean, I think you you really have to be prepared um, for for success and failure when you do that. Um, and, and prepared for success is something that I didn't really have think very much about when I started saying no, because then then the people that you really want to say yes do say yes, because they say, oh, okay, you, you are worth it, and you present yourself well, and you have a product that's of quality, and so then you have to be prepared to really execute on those big events as well. So um, I think I've, I've seen a lot of benefit from my business as a result, and I've experienced a lot more anxiety because, you know, you do, you do less work when you say no more. It's just a fact. Emily, what about you? I've always wondered, especially because, I mean, as someone who watches you on television, you have this persona of you're so happy and cheerful. And does that <laughs> does that ever come back in like in a negotiation room where they're like, but you're the nice, fun, blonde girl from TV. Like, you're not supposed to be tough <laughs> with prices. Like, does that ever happen? Or do you find that maybe because you're on TV, does that come with people expecting maybe a higher price tag? I, I do think people are expecting a bit of a, a a bit of a higher price tag, and also I don't do any of the hardcore negotiations to be honest, <laughs> you know. But I will say that for each project, it depends on how fun the project is, how pretty I think it's going to look. So basically, will I be able to use it for a portfolio, and how much press I'm going to get out of it? I do a shockingly lot of free work because if I can get a lot of press out of it. Then, and if it's going to be beautiful, it's going to be like in my portfolio, then those projects tend to be the most fun anyway. So it's not like I'm doing, you know, 10 at a time, but, you know, I think that on my blog, it's obvious which ones they are. It's like I probably do one or two projects a year where I don't pay myself for my time, but I don't go out of pocket. Like, every, you know, I, like I make sure assistance are built and I make sure that, um, you know, all expenses are paid, but... And I don't know, you know, I don't know if that's the right thing to do, but that's kind of what I want to do. Like, I want to do these projects. So I end up saying yes at the same time. Obviously, like, if if I'm getting very little out of it in those three categories, then it's just an absolute no-brainer that it's not the right project to do, you know? Mm-hmm. Susan and Will, what about you? Have you guys ever had to sort of make a stand? Yeah, I, you know, we've we've done a few budget projects, and... To be honest, by the end of the project, we were very unhappy with what we produced. And we'd done a few of them, and we're just like, why are we doing this? It's, it's not benefiting anybody. And we we luckily have the, the opportunity to have an agent who does a lot of the fielding of this for us. But we do have some clients that are very adamant with working with us. They, they want to make it work, but they don't have much of a budget. And that's where we get on the phone, and, and we tell them, you know, we don't you don't want us to produce this because it's not going to look good. And I'm not going to put anything out there that, that looks bad on us. And I don't want to put anything out there that looks bad on them as a client. And it's it's the best way to explain it to them, you know. And, and sometimes they just, we were doing an ice cream shoot and they didn't want to hire a food stylist. You know, and that was <laughs> n- nothing more on us. We were okay with our side of the budget. But it's like, I can't. And Susan can't do ice cream. Like, it's yeah. just, it melts <laughs> also, fast. Yeah, it melts quickly. <laughs> yeah, so it's, you just, you try to explain to them the best you can. And then if they just don't get it, then, then you have to say no. 
I also think that whenever it comes to really knowing what your creative worth is, you have to know how to price things out properly. And this is what happens before you have a difficult conversation with a client. You know, with photography, there are so many expenses that stack up, you know, like prop budgets and location fees, studio fees. And clients often don't understand how much these things cost. And then they try to cut corners. And that ultimately comes out of our creative fee. So I think that it's best is to understand, like, really at its deepest core, what your expenses are, what your cost of doing business is. And then you can look at a project and say, yes or no. Like, for us, I kind of put things in two categories. It's either a professional project that we get paid appropriately to do. And don't get me wrong, like, some projects are on the lower side of the budgets and some projects are on the higher side. And then there are what we call passion projects. And that's a project where we might collaborate with a friend and there's no money exchanged and we get really beautiful work out of it. And to me, if you, like whenever we put things into those two categories, there's just less muddiness in the middle and everyone's happier in the end. I think passion projects is a good place to take you to the next question because this is the one I struggle with the most as someone who knows what it feels like to not have a huge budget to work with people, but also as someone who gets asked to work then for nothing and feels the difficulty of both Mm -hmm. ends of that situation. Um, I think one of the most controversial and difficult things to deal with is working for free for whether it's a publication or a company or friends and how you deal with that. Um, And it often makes me think of, and because we're on internet radio, I can say this, the movement called Fuck You, Pay Me, which has been happening on the internet for a while. And people are putting badges on their sites and for whatever they do. And people are banding together and sort of making these informal unions of writers and photographers and bloggers saying, like, I will not do free work. And I completely understand and support that sentiment. But there's a part of me that remembers being 22 and just wanting to get my foot in the door. And that was the fastest way to do it. How do you guys feel about the idea of working for free and the idea of banding together? Like, do you think it's okay to sort of demand of your colleagues that you should all be on the same page about that? Let's start with Will and Susan. I mean, I don't agree with working for free, per se. I think it's really different to do a passion project versus just doing a job for free. Um, I also think that you have to look at the source of where this thing is coming from. You know, we've had people, we have a blog in addition to our photography careers. And I mean, I can't get over how many people just email us and ask us to do stuff for free. It's like, and sometimes I have good days and bad days. Like I have the good attitude and the bad attitude about it, you know? Um, I, and some of these are very large businesses with huge advertising budgets and, and my background's in the advertising industry. So I know what their budgets are. And it just infuriates me. So I think that what I would ask of people is like where it comes from, like more or less like banding together is just to really understand who the ask is coming from, what the ask is, because a big company with big money coming to you, who's like a public company on the stock market versus like your blogger friend wanting to get together and do something, or maybe you guys exchange posts for your blogs or something is so completely different. And I do not think that you should work for a business that's earning income off of your creative assets for free. I, I just don't agree with it. You know, a plumber wouldn't come okay. and work at my house for free. No. So, Emily, what about you? Yeah, I couldn't agree more. It depends on who is asking. So I was approached by a really big company this year to, quote, unquote, be my passion project to, to design their new space. They're, they're expanding huge, new 500-employee place. And I, it was shocking to me. Like, they thought that I would get some press out of it, and it was insane to me. But at the same time, then I approached my friend um, who was expanding her fashion company, Bandeau, 
And I was like, hey, I want to I want to design your place. So it really depends on because they're a small company. You know, they're really definitely you know barely afford a a big designer. So I thought that like it just depends on who is approaching and when it comes to the blog. And I, I very rarely I, I mean I don't even know if I do anymore ask for free um, services or anything unless they approach me. You know, so if somebody comes and says, hey, I, I, I want to shoot a project with you, then it's like, okay, then we have, I have a little bit more leverage and there's more negotiation, but I would never call up a photographer and say, hey, can you want to shoot from my blog for free? Like, that's, I said, I think it all depends on who is approaching who and how, how successful the company is. What about you, Sarah? Um, I think it's also depends on what stage of your career you're in. I mean, I think for me, like you, Grace, at, at the beginning, you just to get into a market, just to get yourself the exposure that you need, I do think the reality is, particularly in the, this internet age, as we say, um, you, you do have to get this exposure and you have to get it somewhere and you have to be willing to... Um, you know, spend money to make money and you have to be willing to do participate in photo shoots and, um, styled inspiration shoots and all those things, particularly in terms of flowers and in, in more specifically the wedding industry, you have to be able to get onto all of the blogs and, uh, maybe get a feature in a magazine, those kinds of things. Once you've done that though, I think that it's, it borders on irresponsible to start taking work for free. And, and I'm, I've started much more to think about my, my design community and what I say to the other people when I do something for free, it, it devalues the work that we do. Um, and then it's much harder to turn around to a client and say, you need, you know, I'm charging appropriately. You need to pay me what I'm worth. Um, when I've been indiscriminate about the kind of work that I've done that way. So I, you know, I think it's really, really important. I think exposure only gets you so far. I think it's also a kind of the big lie, um, big companies or people with money or even people who don't, who say to you, Oh, this is going to be great. It's going to be great exposure. That word exposure sort of gives me chills these days because you never really know what something's going to do for you. Um, it's like this amorphous concept of it's going to, you know, give you press. It's going to give you exposure. But I think at the beginning of a career, yes, getting your name out there, um, branding, whatever it is that you're doing with that kind of um, exposure is helpful. And then I think it has a limit and you have to at some point start really charging. And now when people ask me for things, whether they're a big or small um, ask, I say, you know, do you have a budget for this? It's always a photo shoot and it's, do you have a budget? Okay. Yes. I would love to participate. What's your budget for this shoot? And I've kind of drawn the line these days that I may do something if I think it's good press or good exposure, if I can at least be compensated for materials. Um, and so I won't, you know, I won't necessarily charge for my design fee or my concepting or my time, but I have to be reimbursed for the materials. And that's, you know, for most people that's, they can't, they can't do it. So, um, I, I just, I think that that's key. Yeah. Like, I don't think that you should ever ask somebody to go out of pocket. If somebody wants to come to you and say, I want to create this for, you know, for the exposure. I think that's one thing, but yeah, I, I totally agree. I think that it's covering expenses is if, if you have a business, you should be covering other people's expenses for your business at bar none for sure. 
I could not agree more. I, I think you all really kind of are on the same page. I think we're all pretty much on the same page about the, the idea that I think free work, and I, I feel strongly about this, that free work, in a sense, doesn't exist. Like, I think something is always done in exchange for something else. And I think what it sounds like from the four of you today is that as long as that ask is you understand who it's coming from and that you trust that that ask is, is honest and that the full budget opportunity is being um, offered and that th- what you're getting out of it is clearly defined and what, what is requested is clearly defined. I think so often when things get sticky, it's because what you're being asked is continues to grow and then what you're being able to be compensated continues to shrink and those things get really difficult when that happens. So we are just about out of time. I wish this could be like a two-hour show. But before we go, I want to ask you guys some totally non-serious, very fun end-of-the-year questions. So I'm going to ask you four really quick rapid-fire questions, and I'll tell you who to start with. So the first one is, this time of year, people throw bad holiday sweater parties everywhere, and it makes me think about what is the bad holiday sweater design equivalent that we all keep at home, that we can't help but love, everyone's got one. So what are each of your equivalents of something that you have in your house that might be perceived as, as tacky, but that you still love and cannot resist? And let's start with you, Emily. I knew you were going to start with me. I'm literally like scanning my house. I'm like, what, what do I have? I, I don't know. It's like I have an, an insane amount of gold, and I'm sure it could border on garish. You know, and I don't mean like 14 karat gold. I mean just like shiny ass gold stuff. You don't have so. an MC Hammer gold plated bathtub somewhere. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, I think that maybe a lot of people would be like, hey, slow down with the gold. You know, that that could be perceived tacky. But. And I'm sure there's a million other things I could I could list off, but that's the first thing I'm seeing in my house right now. Okay, Brinson family, what about you two? Uh, we have these plastic shoes because <laughs> now we live in the country, and I don't wear nice shoes anymore. In fact, my shoes are generally covered in mud. So they're these horrible plastic clog-looking shoes that my mom bought us, and we actually wear them every day, and they're so disgusting. I'd be embarrassed if anyone ever saw them. <laughs> Sarah, what about you? Um, I have this really weird, specific obsession with um, like makeup kits from Target. <laughs> like, pri- they have weird prints on them that almost look like Missoni, or they're always like sort of bright and um, have these really cool patterns on them. But every time I go to Target, I have to buy like a zippered, often plastic makeup kit in various bright colors, and I store weird things in them, like jewelry that needs to go get to the repair shop or like <laughs> sometimes makeup or, or the appropriate thing that's supposed to be in there but like I have if you go into either of my bathrooms and you open up the cupboard underneath the sink it's got I've got like piles and piles of these weird plastic makeup kits I love your weird target obsession <laughs> um, alright the next one uh, what is your favorite movie uh, music video or interior set that you go back to for inspiration over and over again? Is it, it could be a film that you watch, a music, music video that kind of always sticks in your mind. Is there anything that any of you kind of go back to? You, Will, you just pointed at Susan. I, I've got two. One's okay. Susan, one's me. Susan is I Am Love ah, because okay. it's just gorgeous. And To Catch a Thief is mine because I just love that 60s Riviera kind of thing. Yeah, Emily, what about you? I used to joke that I was half Marie Antoinette and half Kevin Bacon's Footloose. So <laughs> probably somewhere in the middle there. Also, my favorite movie that I will watch over and over and over forever is Dirty Dancing. I do think the art uh, is amazing. Good one. What about you, sir? Um, it's kind of crazy, but lately I've been thinking about Moulin Rouge with mm. Nicole Kidman, the Bosler Lerman movie that was just so 
lush and sometimes I'm I'm sort of struggling for words to describe what I want to do for clients and if I have a visual inspiration that's great but also just sort of using the language of um, a movie like that I just I love that look good one all right second to last uh Hanukkah Hanukkah's already started and Christmas is right around the corner what are each of your favorite guilty pleasure holiday foods let's start with you Sarah well, I mean, Hanukkah is the ultimate latkes. It's just like <laughs> fri- it's fried potato. It's a giant, delicious hash brown with like a ton of salt and then applesauce and it's really good sour cream. And there are gourmet versions that people try and put out all the time. But like basically, if you just fry up a latke with potatoes and onions and delicious egg and it's really good. Emily, what about you? I mean, I kind of give myself carte blanche because you're so close to New Year's that it's just like, like I'm like daring myself to hit bottom, you know? So <laughs> it's like booze and food. I mean, I'll, I'll just eat anything. Probably just not being careful, you know, most of the year. You have to be kind of careful and it's annoying, but I just kind of give myself carte blanche. Good one. Brinson's? I have a cookie baking obsession. Only my close friends and family know about it. My former work colleagues. Um, I cook about maybe uh, 15 to 20 different types of cookies every year and I make these really beautiful boxes and it's totally a guilty pleasure because I love to make things everywhere from caramels to um, cookies to little you know candied citrus to everything and I do it every year and I don't even really eat any of them I just enjoy making them <laughs> that you've got William, some strong William likes to yeah. eat them yeah, I'm eggnog <laughs> eggnog is my like that one time a year you get to have it it's in my coffee it's in my rum it's in my whiskey it's in my Anything I can put eggnog in. Panettone, French toast oh, with eggnog. Yeah. I like that, that, that mm-hmm. eggnog goes into your alcohol and not alcohol goes into your other drinks. Yeah. I like that order. That was good. All right. Last but not least for the round table, who is a creative pioneer, business owner, or maker that you look up to when times are tough? Who's somebody that in the back of your head you're like, what would that person do that would inspire you to maybe work harder or try more? Um, Emily, let's start with you. I would say taking risks it's Kelly Worsler. I'm always like, would Kelly do this? Would Kelly do that? And as far as, as career goes, I would say Nate Burkus because I think that he has this approachable but high-end personality. So those are my two like constant references. Sarah, what about you? Um, it's kind of funny. My style isn't uh, isn't like his, but um, Preston Bailey, who's this like fancy, fancy florist to the stars, um, who's sort of one of the like you know supermodel florists. Um, he is really honest. Um, he does a blog post basically for other designers and he's always really honest about stuff. He'll post a picture of something. He'll be like, my client hated this. What do you (laughs) think about it? Or like, I didn't charge enough for this or I overcharged for this. He talks a lot about his mistakes and is, is really honest. And for someone who's achieved what he has, I think it's really interesting that he's very revealing about his relationships with his clients. And, um, so I look up to that him a lot for that. Susan and Will? Um, I'd have two. Um, don't hate me for saying Kanye West, but I'm saying Kanye West. <laughs> I'm sorry. Um, I think that he's incredibly, aside from his personal life and how strange he is socially, I think that he's incredibly creative and his music videos are really awesome. And uh, of course, Dan Vierlin is amazing. And if I'm ever feeling conservative or should I do something, I always say, what would she do? Because <laughs> she yeah. was always very out there. And another photographer couple we've never actually met, but we've just followed their career uh, gentlemen hires. Uh, just, I knew you were going to say them. They're just—they have beautiful work, and it's—it's it's never wrong to admire someone in your same career. Just so you know that out there, it just adds to the fire and makes you be more creative. They're half the reason we moved upstate. They're 
We'll make this meeting happen. It's going to happen. <laughs> um, before we go, where can everybody find all of you online? Let's start with you, Emily. You can find me at styledbyemilyhenderson.com, my blog. <laughs> Perfect. Sarah, what about you? I'm at blossomandbranch.com. We're at houseofbrinson.com and also williamandsusanbrinson.com. Perfect. Guys, thanks so much for joining me today. This is the very last interview of the entire year. Thanks for being here. And thanks to all of you for listening. I'll see you next Wednesday at 1 o'clock for the 100th and final episode of After the Jump. Happy holidays. Thanks, guys. Thanks for listening to this program on heritageradionetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can email us questions anytime at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a 501c3 nonprofit. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.